So we're doing something new. Our, the children are joining us for the first portion of the worship set, uh, service. They get to participate. I mean, because they're, they're a part of this church too. So I'm delighted to uh, let them be a part of the worship and, and the greet time to build relationships. And um, uh, so, uh, so at this time, um, though, we will uh, allow our children to go back for uh, Children's Church. And right there in this back corner, Noel Golden is standing up. And, uh, and if, if you're a child and you want to join in with the children's ministry today, just follow Mr. Noel back to the back or sit here and uh, stay with us all day. But <laughs> Man, that's that's like, do y'all listen that good, too? Is that like <laughs> anyway, uh, it's just it's it's good, uh, you know, and you know, one of the things Jesus says. Uh, he's teaching his um, disciples why you want to be humble, right? And he says, whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me also. And, uh, and so, you know, that's one of the things that we want to be. We want to be a church that, that welcomes Jesus. And we can do that by how we love on kids. So if you're one of those folks that you see a child and you're kind of like, I understand, I got five of them. You know, but but you still want to uh, to to hold in uh, in a negative re- response and 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 deal out love to these little ones. And uh, we want this to be a place where where they feel home and they can feel the love of God through God's people. And so I'm delighted to involve involve them in here. And then uh, you know, speaking of which, this uh, trunk or treat coming up. Um, you know, uh, start making a plan on this uh, to to bring up your car. Decorate the back side of it with, you know, there's so many different ideas. I've seen people decorate their car like a ladybug or a football stadium or, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of creative things. I um, uh, had one fellow once upon a time ago, he, he decorated his golf cart and he dressed like Fred Flintstone. And so it looked like, you know, the Flintstones car. That was a neat trunk. Um, but that's, listen, God put this church here. Started in 1850. He knew exactly the community that was going to build around it. God's not surprised by this. And that's part of our mission. Is to shine the light of the gospel in this particular area. And I think, I think it's very strategic. You guys, y- y'all are, at least most of you, the ones that I really get to know. Uh, you're, you're down to earth. You're, you're real. You're authentic. I think that I think God, he says, I want to put a very real and authentic people in the midst of the wealth of West Plano to shine the light of the gospel. And that that's who we are. So we're going to have an event. We're going to invite the community uh, to, to join us. Um, I uh, let the uh, leadership at Beth Shar Shalom, our Messianic congregation, say, hey, why don't you guys, uh, if, if you're willing, um, invite your people to join in and together let's uh, let's do an event for our community. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to do on Saturday. And I hope you would be a part. Um, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. We're doing it from five to seven because, um, well, it's going to get really dark and we don't want uh, people to be in danger of, of the darkness. So, um, uh, but so come plan on being a part of that. And again, we'll just get to rub shoulders with folks. And we're going to talk today about what it means to be salt and light. We're going to invite people to come in. We're going to give them a reason to come and mingle around folks who God intends to be salt and light, all right? And, you know, we're going to bait them in with candy because that just works, you know. You put candy out there. And, and I, I got this plan. You know, we were talking about do we want to, um, 
uh, allow you to bring candy and donate candy? And I was like, my initial thought was like, no, because I always end up with extra. And you know what I do with the extra candy? I eat it, but I got a plan this time. All right? So around the corner, Parkway Hills Baptist Church is having a similar event, a trunk retreat on Sunday. And whatever extra candy that we have, I'm taking it over there. Yeah, my son is like like this, and my wife is like, amen, you know. So, um, well, I have to, you know. I I can't afford a new wardrobe, and the candy would really cause some things to happen. Y'all know what happens when that happens. So, um, that's a good thing. And listen, church folks, um, like, I, you know, I, I... I was telling somebody, I went into the uh, finance team meeting uh, that was happening during the, the, the Sunday morning Bible study. And that's not a fun meeting. I mean, the, I, feel, I, feel so, I feel so deeply for, for the team that's on there. Because um, they're the ones that they, they, they've got a, a full view of what's, what, what our church finances are. And I mean, we just endured a flood. We've got to handle mold. The, uh, Things are, there, there are expensive needs with this building, and then of course there's just there's just our financial reality, and so they get to do the, they get to decide. All right, how do we how do we responsibly manage what 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 we have here, and we have to make cuts, and that's no fun. My heart breaks for you guys, but but here's the thing: I want you guys don't don't lose sight of this. All right, uh, if you were to take a thumbtack, and even though it's sharp, and you just start to push it through a rubber band. You get your most resistance right at the point of your breakthrough. And I think that's where we are. And folks, we're, we're the, the, as a church body, I mean, we, we've, we've come together and we've, we've, we've put things back together. And, and now we're about to enter into a season where, where God wants us to start reaching out. All right? And, that's, that, and again, this is, this is what you're going to find and what Jesus teaches, that we are to be the salt and the light, that, that we're supposed to be reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the greatest story ever told, all right? There's a, there's a song I've been hearing on the radio that's so good. It's not just good news. It's the best news ever. That's how Mercy Me puts it. Have you heard that song yet? All right, some of you heard. That's a great song. We ought to do that song, right? Where's, where's Shelby? Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, but, that, but, but we're at a point where we've got to, we're gonna, God wants us to start reaching out, okay? And, um, and we, do, we do have some obstacles in front of us. Um, but nothing that is too big for our God, and it's one of those things that is going to keep us praying and keep us um, dependent on Him, and that's kind of where we are supposed to live. So I've been teaching you guys about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preached lots of sermons, but very few of them got recorded. Um, and the best example of a, of a sermon that Jesus preached was in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. He starts off with this series of blesseds. They call it the Beatitudes. The reason they call it the Beatitudes is the Latin word for blessed is beatus. So it's beatus are the poor in spirit. Beatus are those who mourn. Beatus are those who uh, are the meek. Um, that's what it says. A, a healthy relationship with God leads to a blessed life. And blessed is not like... Okay, things go your way. You want to sell your house and it sells really fast and your kids get a scholarship and um, you need help moving something and all of a sudden a big strong person comes around and it's there. What a blessing. How convenient life is. No. Blessing in the New Testament, it carries with it this idea of empowered. And so when Jesus is teaching on a Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, if you want to have an empowered relationship with God, not just a casual 
uh, where God's just part of your life. No, this is God is empowering you to, to do great things, to be a person of influence, to be a person of impact. Here's how you do it. And he lays it out. He gives you the whole teaching in the Beatitudes. And now he comes to this section um, where he says that you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. A lot of people read this separate from the Beatitudes. Um, I've, I've, as I've read and read it and read it again, I really think that this, this teaching on being salt and light, that that is the, that's the conclusion of his introduction with the Beatitudes. And what he does is he's gonna, he, he, gives you, he gives you the whole teaching right up front, and then he comes back afterwards and he breaks it down into greater detail. And we'll start doing that next week. But this is, I think, is the conclusion to the Beatitudes. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5 and read with me. If you take seriously your relationship with God, if you take it seriously enough that you're going to take the steps that Jesus lays out in the Beatitudes, that you'll start with being poor in spirit, that you will, that you will mourn the things of God, that you will be meek and that God will use you, that, that you would start to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you would choose mercy and bestow that on the people because you understand the redemptive heart of God. And so in every situation, you're looking to help people find out their flaws and their, their mistakes. There's plenty of that to point out. Um, uh, that if you'll if you be, be pure in heart, people would trust you. That, that God would elevate your leadership. And when you start making a difference in the name of Jesus in this world... Satan's going to come against that. And that's why Jesus concludes the Beatitudes with blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. All right? Satan's going to, going to, put, going to target you because you're dangerous to him. You're making a difference. And Jesus says, listen, if you're going to take your relationship with God seriously, you will become dangerous, but you're going to be influential. And he says this to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, what happens when you live out the teachings of Jesus is that you make a difference in this world, like salt and light. Most people, when they read this, the Sermon on the Mount, they, they, they read it in sections. And they'll read this section in isolation. But it is directly connected to what Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes. See, we tend to think that, that because I'm a Christian, that I'm automatically salt and light. That just because I've invited Jesus Christ into my life, I've given him over my life, but now I'm just real casual all things. It's just kind of part of my life, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm automatically a difference maker. That's not the case. You could be salt, but you could be salt that has lost its saltiness. Um, this being salt and light, it's the result of responding in obedience to the teachings of Jesus. I mean, you don't really think that you can be a difference maker in this world by being exactly like everybody else in this world. I'm going to make a difference for God by having the same values, the same attitudes, the same goals as the people who don't care about God at all. Doesn't sound right, does it? 
Everyone else is busy chasing the American dream. And when they see me succeeding at the American dream, they will turn and see that, that God is the way to get stuff. This doesn't sit right. I'll chase after what they want. I'll make a difference by being just like them. I will be salt and light because Jesus says I'm salt and light. It sounds ridiculous, yet that is just how so many professing Christians live. And to tell you the truth, it's just not working. You cannot be a difference maker for God while being no different from the ungodly culture at large. It's not a coincidence that Jesus' teachings on being salt and light follows the Beatitudes. God's plan for you and I is to be changed, to be empowered by being poor in spirit, uh, by being meek, by hungering and thirsting for righteousness, by choosing mercy, by being pure in heart. That's going to that's that's what's going to make us different in this world. That's what's going to make us salt and light. You are meant to make a difference in this world, but it only happens when you live responsively to Jesus' teachings. So, what kind of difference does God want you to make? How does God want you to make a difference in this world? There are five things we can learn from salt and light. Five ways that salt and light make a difference in the things that they come in contact with. Salt primarily does three things. It preserves, it seasons, and it makes you thirsty. Light energizes and it illuminates. So I want to look at each of these and just see how God wants to make a difference with you in this world. Salt, it preserves. You know, back when Jesus spoke these words, there was no such thing as refrigeration. In fact, refrigeration as we know it, it that did not come about as a means to preserve food. Um, that was not, it was not a commonly used means to preserve food until the early 1900s. Until the early 1900s, if you wanted to preserve meat, you had only two options. You could keep your meat cold by burying it in the snow or taking blocks of ice cut from mountains and hauling them down to wherever you are, which was dangerous and expensive. All right? Your other option to preserve meat was to cure it with salt. Salt, salt did two things that would help preserve meat. Uh, the, the salt would draw the moisture out of the meat and it would also make a, uh, a situation where bacteria, uh, it was unfavorable for bacteria to live. Um, so for thousands of years all over the world, people would use salt to essentially turn their meat into jerky so that it would last longer. Salt preserves. That is God's design for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ In this world, we are to preserve the things of God. You see, sin causes all of us to turn away from God. Sin causes society to decay. And and God purposes that his people are to preserve what is good and what is true. Y'all remember last year when the world reacted strongly to the Harvey Weinstein scandal? If you don't remember, this, this Hollywood executive... Uh, a guy responsible for TV shows and movies, um, that actresses started coming forward and they were telling stories that this wealthy Hollywood executive, that he would leverage his influence to take advantage of women. I mean, it was wrong. It was sickening and it was shameful. But one of the things that was remarkable to me as I was watching that story unfold 
was that that Hollywood all of a sudden started to advocate for respect of women, to to not treat women as sexual objects. This is the same Hollywood that sells its entertainment to us by disrespecting women and promoting them as sexual objects. I mean, this is the same Hollywood that that recently gave us Fifty Shades of Grey. The, The story where a wealthy man takes advantage, well, you know, romantically takes advantage of a woman in a very sick kind of way. And it was okay. But when they actually see it in real life, it's sickening. It's detestable. Hollywood uses that to sell their things. I mean, prior to his scandal, Hollywood would come out and they would tell us things like, oh, godly morals in regards to to women and sexuality, that's old-fashioned. That is unpopular. That, that's, that's unnecessary. We live in a modern day where it's, it's good to promote this sort of thing. And then they see it, and it's creepy. But for those of us who follow the teachings of Jesus, we're salt. You see, we don't wait for the things of God to become trendy. We preserve his will. We preserve his truth in the midst of the world that is in decay because of sin. See, I didn't need for it to become unpopular because of Mr. Weinstein. I already knew. There's no such thing as Fifty Shades of Grey. That's a lie. That's, that's, that's more than just perversion. God advocates that a husband is to love his wife, to give himself up for her, not... Not leverage your power to get what you want. That's not the things of God. I didn't need Hollywood to tell me that. I already knew that because I followed Jesus. We're to preserve the truth, preserve the things of God. And it's more than just holding on to biblical morals and principles in a culture that wants you to let go of them. Preserving the things of God also means that we intentionally pass on the faith to our children and our grandchildren. Somebody said, if we don't teach our children to follow Jesus, the world will teach them not to. Very true. How important is it to you to pass on to your kids and grandkids the importance of a healthy relationship with God? Yeah, I served as a youth pastor for 20 years before becoming a pastor. And in that time, I got to see the results of choices that parents made. And how they would raise their children. I know parents who right now. Their children to them are a joy. Because they're watching them grow in the things of the Lord. They're they're following Christ for themselves. I got other parents. Who really wish they can go back and do things over again. You have to be intentional about it. You cannot hope that the world is going to show them that a healthy relationship with God is valuable. It won't. You have to do that. You have to do that. You have to do that with your grandkids. We want to do that as a church in this community, that that a relationship with God brings about real life. What else does salt do? Salt seasons. You add salt to most anything, and it brings out the flavor it enhances the flavor. It, it, it makes it taste even better. I remember how surprised I was 
when I learned that salt was a key ingredient in chocolate chip cookies. Now, now chocolate chip cookies are like my diet kryptonite. Because I can, I can eat one more, always, and one more, and one more, and one more. I mean, they're just, they're just fabulous to me. Had this uh, elderly lady in Longview, Texas, she just made some fantastic chocolate chip cookies. I said, Miss Mopsy, how do you make these chocolate chip cookies? She said, I'll tell you the, uh, I'll tell you the, uh, the, the, um, the recipe. She starts laying out the recipe, and it came to salt. And I was like, salt? Chocolate chip cookies are sweet. Salt is bitter. Why would you put salt in a chocolate chip cookie? She says, oh, honey, salt brings out the flavor. And I was like, well, you ought to know, because these cookies are fantastic. It does. It, in, my, in my naive mind, it was like the two didn't go together. They do go together. Salt would even bring out the flavor in something sweet. Salt seasons. Uh, take some food that is bland and lacking taste and add a little salt and it changes it for the better. I mean, go to a Mexican restaurant and they bring out the chips and the salsa, salsa and you, you grab the salt and you, you ask... You ask the other people at the table if they want salt on the chips. Look, not everyone is going to want as much salt as you do. Um, what are you thinking? I, I learned a while back that employers in an in a, uh, interview would oftentimes watch a person that if, if they delivered your food and you started to salt it before tasting it, that would indicate to them that you're the kind of person that's going to come about and bring about change before even figuring out what's going on. And like that would, that would alert them to say, you know what? I'm not sure that this is the kind of person I want to hire. At least, at least take that first bite and say, does it need salt or not? All right? But that's what salt does. Salt, salt it seasons things. It enhances the flavor. Listen, God's desire is to place serious disciples of Jesus in businesses, in neighborhoods, in classrooms, on teams to enhance the atmosphere, to bring out the best parts of things. In some cases, to change the overall flavor of the place. Places that are bland and dull. God wants to use you to season it, to be a salty disciple. You're to be the one that's supposed to bring life into things. Yeah, I mean, people, people walk around with all kinds of depression, but we get to say, hey, you can do it. With, with, with God, it's possible. All right? That's who we are. We're, we are meant to be to take the life that God has poured into us and, and hand that out to other people. We're to be life bringers. Salt seasons. Third, salt's going to make you thirsty. You grab a pinch of salt, put it in your mouth, you're going to inevitably want something to drink. God empowers serious disciples of Jesus to be like salt, to create a thirst for the things of God in people. The way you live your life, the choices you make, the, the values you display, they're, they're not supposed to be the same as those who are not followers of Jesus. And you're meant to be different. Meant to be peculiar. And those differences, like salt, are supposed to, to awaken people to a deep thirst that, that everybody has. And that nothing else in this world is going to fill except for Jesus. Jesus tells this Samaritan woman that he meets at a well. It reads in John chapter 4, it says, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give, 
will never thirst again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. You know, it's simple human nature to chase after and pursue your appetites and thirst. Yet everything in this world, it never satisfies. It never fills. St. Augustine put it this way. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. See, everybody's restless. Everybody's trying to fill a God-shaped hole in their life. They, They try to fill it with money, with popularity, with possessions, sex, drugs, alcohol. They try to fill it with work or with play. I mean, you name it, but none of it fills. We fill ourselves with the things of the world and we remain empty. We all remain thirsty. But Jesus gives living water. What Jesus gives is like a spring that keeps filling us. And God would use you like salt to make people thirsty for the water that only Jesus gives. God's plan for you. Because you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses, if salt has lost its taste, How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Did you know you can lose your saltiness? Most of the salt used in Israel at the time of Jesus um, came from the Dead Sea. Now that salt is not pure. Um, Pure salt cannot lose its saltiness. Um, But the salt that came from the Dead Sea, it was contaminated with with gypsum and with other minerals, and and it would lose its flavor. And salt that lacks flavor has lost its flavor. It's not that it's completely useless. You know what they would use it for? They would take the salt that has lost its flavor and they throw it out on the ground um, on their roadways. It keeps vegetation from growing. All right? That's why Jesus says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Right? You can lose your saltiness. You won't be making the kind of difference in the world that God wants you to make. But, but you can be uh, trampled upon. You can lose your spiritual saltiness. Peter, who followed after Jesus, he teaches in one of his uh, letters in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Prior to that, in the, the verses 5, 6, and 7, he lays out all these virtues that we are to add into our life, that we're to constantly be growing up in. And he says, and if you... if These qualities are yours and they're increasing, meaning you are growing spiritually. That's going to keep you from losing your saltiness. If you are not actively looking to grow as God intends you, then the result is you will become ineffective and unfruitful. And I'll tell you this, the best way to pursue spiritual growth in your personal life is with other people who are pursuing spiritual growth in their life. All right. That's why God tells us. That's why they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love Lord God with all your heart, soul and mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, a new command I give you. That you love one another as I've loved you. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. We are meant to grow together. And so if you're trying to be an isolated Christian. 
You're cheating yourself. All right? And I know people can be annoying. My wife tells me that all the time about me. I know it. But you know what? That's, that's how you get those, those rough edges rubbed off. That's, that's why the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one, so one man sharpens another. The best way, if, you're going to, if you want to seriously pursue spiritual growth in your own life, best way is in community. And it doesn't happen all at once. It happens over time. But it's God's way. And if you can find a better way, come tell me. I'll be surprised. Um... So are you currently taking steps in your relationship with God to grow in godliness? You know, maybe God's brought you here today to hear this one thing. That you're losing your saltiness. And that it is setting you up and your loved ones, it's setting you up for future failure. But God loves you. And God brought you here today to say you can turn this thing around. He says you're the salt of the world. It then says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What does light do? It energizes and it illuminates. You know, light is essential to life on earth. The sun's rays give energy to the plants for photosynthesis. The plants give energy to us uh, in, by way of making oxygen and being uh, edible for f- food, and fruit and vegetables. Um, we've learned how to harness the energy of the sun with solar panels. Light energizes. Look, disciples of Jesus are to give positive energy to the places that God places us. We're to be the encouragers. We are the ones empowered by God to get things moving. when, When people think they can't, we are to remind them that all things can be done through Christ who strengthens us. Some people, some people, they drain the energy out of a room. You ever met those? Are you... They drain the energy out of the room with their attitudes and their de- demeanor. But then some people, they give life to a room. When your relationship with God is healthy, you will be a life giver. You will be an energy producer. What else does light do? Light illuminates. Now, a while back, living out in the, the country, just out, there's, there's not all that city light to create um, uh, what they call light pollution. Um, and so at night... If there's no moon out or if there's so much clouds that it covers, uh, it can be really dark. You ever been out in the country when it's really dark? Sometimes I'd be driving back um, from Abilene and it'd be one of those dark nights and I'm like, it's really dark out here. Let's see how dark it is. And I would take the headlights in my car and I'd click them off. That is way scary. You, you can't see nothing. So, so then I pull over to the side of the road. and I'm like, all right, let's. And it's like, really, I can't even see my hand in front of my face. It's just dark. I 
I sit there and think, well, man, what if, what if I was having to walk home in this kind of darkness? What would I do? I couldn't see the road in front of me. If there was, I mean, that's rattlesnake country. If there's a snake out there on the road, I wouldn't see it. If there was a cactus in front of me, I wouldn't see it. If I was about to step off into the ditch, I wouldn't see it. It's scary when you can't see. You ever been in a place where it's so dark you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face? Your eyes are as wide as they can be, and yet you're getting nothing. I mean, when you're in that kind of place, it's scary. But when you have light, oh, your heart can rest. You can have peace. You can relax. You can have confidence and assurance. Every one of my children, as they've been growing up, have wanted a little light at night. It helps their little heart rest. Just because I can see a little bit of something. It's not just all darkness. Look, because of sin, our world is in darkness. And God wants to empower you, to empower me, to bring light to this world. To shine the light of truth on the falsehoods and the lies. To shine the light of truth on the dangers and the pitfalls in this world. To shine a light of hope to those who are lost. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a, light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. Let it shine before others so that they can see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. See, when you live out the Beatitudes, when God empowers you to make a difference in this world for His sake, you're like a city on a hill. And no amount of darkness can hide what God is doing in you. So you intentionally do good. You let your light shine before men and they see your good deeds. And who gets the glory? God does. That's God's plan for you. So let me ask you, what do you have to do today to begin to live the life that God has designed you for? To be that difference maker. To preserve the things of God. To bring out the best in where you work and where you go to school, where you go to church. To create a thirst in others. To to be that energy giver. Not to be the drain in the room, but rather the one that is like, gosh, when they come around, I feel like we can. We can do this. We can overcome this obstacle. We can get past this. That's God's plan for you. To illuminate things. Be able to sit there and say, guys, this isn't going to work. This is, this is not of God. But they'll trust you because you actually live it out. Not because you've got a strong opinion or a loud voice, but because you've got a life that illustrates the things of God. What do you have to do today? As we reviewed the, the Beatitudes, maybe, maybe your first step is to be poor in spirit. Say, you know what, God, I don't have all the answers I don't know it all, and I don't need to control it. Maybe your steps to to hunger and thirst for God, things of righteousness. Join a group so that you can start growing in your own personal godliness. You know, we've got 
classes that meet at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Love to have you join in. Why not give God an extra hour on a Sunday? Let Him empower you. What step do you have to do? Maybe you've got to repent of something. You know, sometimes we think it's all about just loving God. It's also hating sin. Maybe there's something that's bad for you. You know it. God knows it. You don't have to tell anybody else unless you really want some deep healing. Then you confess your sins one another and you could be healed. Maybe you need to let go of something. Maybe you need to quit arguing with God. He's been moving you to do something. You're just, you're hard-headed. What's your step? God's got a great plan for your life. You're not meant to just be like chaff blowing in the wind. You're meant to make a difference. You're meant to be a dangerous disciple. What do you got to do to step into that? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what Jesus teaches us. Oh God, what your son says is so inviting to have that kind of life of of purpose and meaning, not just for our own sake, but, but for your good. And for the good that you want to bring in this world. Father, we, we turn on the news and we open the newspapers and we see all kinds of darkness, death and destruction. Father, that we could be used by you to make a difference for good. But Father, we know it doesn't happen automatically. So right now, I just pray that you'd speak to each heart in this room. That you would help them discern one step they can take in your direction. It might be a step of repentance. It might be just a step to take the next step and going in the right direction. I pray that you'd speak to each heart today. And Father, that as your people hear from you, that you'd grant them courage and strength to walk in that. Father, if there be one here today, that their step is to trust your son Jesus to save them from their sin, to trust in his death on the cross for them and his resurrection as a demonstration of your power over all things. Father, I pray that they might be able to take that step today. Father, in these days to come, lead us individually and collectively as your church to be the salt and the light here and where we work, where we live, and even in this neighborhood where we, where we come and we seek and we worship you. It only happens because of you, Father. So we depend on you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.